Good morning. Oh, I'm not going to be expecting many people at 10.30. You all came to 9 o'clock. Just by way of letting you know, I preach better in the second service. But as we're about to learn, it's not about me. Uh, just by way of news from Ireland, um, there was tremendous response to the evangelistic outreach that Dad was uh, preaching in, in Dublin and Belfast, uh, and, and Dad is very thankful for your prayers for him and for the uh, team that's serving over there. There are a lot of young people that were coming forward, and um, there's no cameras in here, so I will say that uh, Dad was very impressed by the being in a Catholic nation, the response to the gospel. He was uh, teaching uh, from John's gospel on you must be born again to be saved. And um, in a nation rife with religion and religiosity, how true it is. Well, this morning we are picking back up in 1 Corinthians. We're in chapter 3, verse 5. Uh, we're going to finish chapter 3 this week, and next week, uh, my hope was always to get to chapter 4. I didn't think we'd get there, but we, we will get there. Uh, so we're, we're finishing out chapter 3 uh, this morning. First uh, Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5, page 1132, if you have your pew Bible with you. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers." You are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, Wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone, if the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool, that he may become wise." For the wisdom of this world is folly with God, for it is written, He catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. So let no one boast in men. 
For all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours and you are Christ's and Christ is God's. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we do rejoice in the work that's being accomplished uh, over, over the waters, Lord, in Ireland. We, we, Lord, we pray for good soil that that seed would fall on. And Father, we pray for ourselves here as we have been diving deep into this letter to the Corinthian church, Lord, and examining ourselves as we as we want to be believers who are growing in our maturity, as we want to be believers who are united under the, the headship of Christ, that we would have the mind of Christ. Father, we ask that once again, that you would instruct us from your word, as we've just read, knowing that your Holy Spirit is within us. Father, that he would teach us this morning. For we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Now, I've shared this story, this particular story with you a number of times here at 9 o'clock, that there was a, a lady that walked up to Charles Spurgeon, you know, 19th century London preacher, and she told him that she was leaving the Metropolitan Tabernacle, which was uh, the church where he was ministering. And she told him that she was going to find the perfect church. To which Spurgeon responded, Madam... If you find the perfect church, please don't join it, because you will ruin it. <laughs> now, there is no such thing as the perfect church. Every church has difficulties. There is no such thing as the perfect marriage. Every marriage has challenges. There is no such thing as the perfect job. Every job has difficulties. There's no such thing as the perfect parents or children or teachers. Everything and everyone is affected by sin and the fall of man. The only thing that is perfect is God. And so the call of the believer is to align our lives with the perfect God. In and through these institutions that he has given us in work and marriage and parenting and relationships and the church, the gathering of the believers. Are we bringing these into conformity with God and his purposes or are we at odds? Last week we looked at maturity and immaturity in the church. Are we acting as infants in Christ, not growing in faith and love, not seemingly being affected by Christ and his gospel. Because the mature believer is, is, is growing. He, the goal is growth in not just knowledge which puffs up, but in spiritual maturity, in, in faith, in love, in, in these things that have been given to us, these graces that have been given to us. The immature is going back, going back to competition, going back to what feels natural, going back to boasting in the self and putting the self forward always, causing division among those that we've been called to be in unity with. And we ended last week where Paul goes back to the issue of division over who people follow, which was the issue in the church in Corinth. Corinth. 
I follow Paul. I follow Apollos. And he asked the Corinthians, are you not being merely human? Are you not one with the Spirit of God? This morning we are looking at what a healthy, unified church looks like. Not a perfect church, but a healthy, unified church. Now let me take a minute to talk about where the church is, at least in the United States. This is a little aside, but it it does relate to what we're looking at this morning. Um, I've done a podcast recently, a, a week or two ago, with a man called Michael Graham, who works with the Keller Institute. And he was sharing with me that these recent studies that he and some other gentlemen worked on are showing that nearly 50 million people in the United States fall into this category called the de-churched. 50 million Americans. That's people who were once attending church at least once a month and are now attending less than once a year. There are, of course, a myriad of reasons why this is the case. Some were, as they call it, casual. They just... People just don't feel like going to church anymore. Obviously, COVID brought a lot of this about. More important things came up, priorities, uh, uh, sports, all kinds of other things have come that just, you know, church just wasn't important anymore. The other category they refer to is casualty. So casual and casualty. Casualty is people who have been hurt by the church, hurt by the teaching of the church, uh, abuses that they have seen in the church. But the point being, there is an enormous demographic of people who were once in the church and who are now not. Much of this stems from a lack of understanding or, or, or teaching of what the church is and what purpose the church Serves because, beloved, you cannot watch church online in perpetuity and expect to grow in your faith. And I'm not talking about people who are homebound. We need one another, we need each other, edifying one another, encouraging one another, praying with and for one another, using our spiritual gifts in support of one another as Parker prayed for us. We restrict the work of the Spirit if we are out of fellowship or if we allow other things to interfere with this set-aside time of communal worship with each other. There is no such thing as Lone Ranger Christianity. It, It just doesn't work. Now, this is not the exact issue with the the church in Corinth, but it's similar in terms of uh, uh, the need for fellow believers, the reminder that we need each other, that we serve one another, that we're, we're called together in fellowship. Now, in Corinth, the particular issue, as we said earlier, was viewing leaders as celebrities, which can be our tendency as well in the West. Uh, because of our tribal nature. I remember years ago going up to New York City and visiting Redeemer Presbyterian Church, the, the, the church that Tim Keller started. 
And with the amount of people that were coming to the church in New York, uh, they had to have multiple services uh, throughout the day on Sunday. And you never knew which service that Keller was going to preach. But if there was a visitor who was coming in town, you, you know who they wanted. And if Keller came out and he was the preacher that day, then you were excited. Oh, I picked the right service. If you had someone else, there was perhaps some disappointment. Now, I've been that preacher many times, and <laughs> many of you have come up to me and said, oh, we came all the way from Kentucky and Ohio to hear your dad. <laughs> Sorry to disappoint you. But you see, it, it, it builds up this celebrity culture. Now, I get it. Keller, he, he wrote the books. He, he, he started the church. He, he has the big name ID. Obviously, he's, he's with Lord and Glory now. But, but, but Keller was not a celebrity preacher in the sense that he saw himself as a celebrity. In fact, I think that's why they never announced which service he was preaching in, because he's pushing against that entire mindset. Because you know what would happen? People would go to the service, and maybe that Keller wouldn't be there, and they'd be disappointed, but they would stay, and they would listen. And whoever it was that was in the pulpit, they were greatly rejoicing because they were taught well. They were edified because these were faithful gospel preachers. They didn't have the name recognition, but they were being true to their calling. Now, for Paul to address this and to get the focus off of people and personalities, Paul uses three images to get our focus right. He uses a field, he uses a building, and that building is a temple. And Scripture often blends these three images uh, in other places, in Isaiah chapter 5, and Jeremiah, and Ezekiel, and so it, it is somewhat of a common metaphor in the Old Testament. So let's start with our first metaphor. You are God's field. Paul says, what then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. We live in such a celebrity culture, don't we? I mean, just, I mean, that's not a shocking news to you. We like putting people up on pedestals almost as much as we like tearing people down just to put someone else up on a pedestal. And that happens even in the church, even in good biblical churches where people take a faithful Bible teacher who is attractional because of their particular gifting, and they can create factionalism around them. Again, like Keller's example. And Keller, in fact, wrote about this in his book, Center Church. Now, sometimes pastors take on that celebrity moniker themselves, uh, which is extremely dangerous and obviously unbiblical. But others have this put on them uh, with people who are having fruitful ministry. And they come and they, they create the celebrity culture around them, which is, again, it is unhelpful. Pastors and leaders are flesh and blood, called to be faithful teachers and preachers and servants, not celebrities. Now, we used uh, Spurgeon for our humor. 
I think we need to right the ship a little bit because he does more than just make us laugh, though he does that a lot. Uh, And let me use him for illustrating this point here. Rand Eberhard shared this illustration with me this week, even though he didn't know it would be an illustration. So I'm grateful for him. One evening, Spurgeon was riding a horse and carriage through London, and the carriage was going up a steep hill. And as he ascends this hill, he he noticed these lights illuminating the path were being lit, uh, rising up the hill. And what Spurgeon was witnessing was a, a lamp lighter who was going up the hill lighting each lamp so that people could see the path, so that people could see the way. And afterward, he reflected on what he had witnessed. And he said, I did not see the lamplighter. I do not know his name, nor his age, nor his residence. But what I saw, the lights which he had kindled, and these remained when he himself had gone his way. He earnest, how earnestly do I wish that my life may be spent lighting one soul after another with the sacred flame of eternal life. I would myself be as much as possible unseen while at my work and would vanish into eternal brilliance above when my work is done. Oh, that every preacher would have this attitude towards their calling, that every believer would hold to this view. Paul says, I planted, Apollos watered, but it's God who gives the growth. The seed is planted, the plant is watered, but the growth is given by God. Paul's trying to get the Corinthians to get their eyes off of human leadership and onto God. Now, it's important that you understand that leaders are still necessary. Someone has to plant, someone has to water people, but even the planting and the watering is a work of God. Using the vessels that he has chosen, that he has set apart to feed and equip and establish his people. We as pastors and staff at this church are servants through whom you believed. Now, of course, some of you were planted by other ministers and and other workers and other saints in other churches. And now you have been entrusted to our care. And our role is to serve you by teaching and training you in the word of God through the power of God to the glory of God. And I don't know all the people who influenced you in your lives, different cities, different states, different countries even. But I do know this, that we are one, them and us. We are united in our efforts to see you established, to see you grow in Christ, and we will receive our wages according to our labor. Verse 8, he who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. I literally just took that line from the scripture and put it in my own words, and not even that. Do you see, as long as a fellow worker is, is, is directing people to Christ, as long as, as a fellow worker is, is leading people to salvation in Christ alone, through faith alone, then we are one because we are all in Christ together. We are united in the same spirit, for we are God's fellow workers. We are called to the same tasks. 
you know, I often sit and I, and I think about the, the people in my life who have had such a great impact in my own faith. Pastors, teachers, some lay people who have encouraged me, and I thank God for them. And, and often I'll reach out to them, I'll call them, I'll email them, I'll, I'll, I'll reach out and just want to connect with them. And I find it so helpful because it's not about them and it's not about me. It's about what God was doing in us and for his purposes and continues to do so. And what a joy to be a part of that process. Our church obviously is focused on uh, being an intergenerational church and there are plenty of opportunities to be a part of that. Our student ministry is here this morning with us. You know, there's opportunities to serve in, in children's ministry, in student ministry. You can, you can mentor a young man or a young woman. You could be a recipient of, of great wisdom and counsel. But we don't do those things for praise to, to, to become a celebrity of some sort. We do it because someone else did it for us. We do it because that is what we have been called to. We do it because of God. He allocates the tasks. He gives the growth. He rewards the laborers. And we get to take part. This is God's field. Second, you are God's building. This is a beautiful building that we have here, is it not? But this building doesn't have a soul or a spirit. It's not the bricks and mortar. The, the, the building is the people. He's continuing this theme of, of being God's fellow workers under God. Just as in God's field, one plants and another waters. So in God's building, one lays the foundation while another builds the superstructure on top of it. But you see, the two metaphors that Paul gives do not make the same point. Because the emphasis in God's field is that only God gives the growth. While the emphasis in God's building is that only Christ is its foundation, verse 10. According to the grace of God given to me like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Now, why would Paul call himself a skilled master builder? I thought we were trying to draw attention away from leaders. It's because he has laid the only right foundation. He, he hasn't built the foundation on Paul and his abilities. He hasn't built the foundation on Apollos and his eloquence. He hasn't built the foundation on Abraham or Moses or Muhammad or, or Joseph Smith. No, it is the foundation of Jesus Christ and him crucified. Because, as Parker prayed earlier, he is the only foundation upon which you can build if you want a relationship with God. He is the only foundation you can build upon if you want peace with God. He is the only foundation you can build upon if you want to make sense of your life. And so we do not mess with the foundation. We put our hope and our confidence and our trust in Him. And so builders need to be careful with what materials they use to build. Because if a preacher or a leader in, in the church comes along and they start building with wood and hay and straw, metaphorically, 
meaning that they start building with a false gospel, with, with, with false teaching. They start building with human wisdom. They start leading people astray. Paul says, verse 13, all of it will be shown for what it was. It will either remain if you build upon the foundation with gold and silver and precious stones, which is bringing to our mind the, the picture of the temple. What that means is that you, you reinforced the gospel. You proclaimed it without condition, but if you built on the foundation of Christ with wood and hay and straw, then it will, it will burn up on the judgment day. Because you built on the right foundation, but with the wrong materials. I mean, this isn't all that hard to illustrate. I mean, just think about all the home improvement shows that, you know, HGTV has made billions of dollars off of, right? What happens? The TV crew and the celebrity, they show up at a house, and they say, oh, you know, I want to add a fourth floor to my house, or, you know, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I am a painter, and my wife is a school teacher, and our budget is $14 million. Um, <clears throat> but, but, but what is it? it, it it's, it's often this is the case. They pull back the plaster, the drywall, or whatever, and they're like, oh, hey, you, we have an overage here because the previous builder built with really bad material, or, the, or they built it incorrectly, Right? Now, some of that might have been a generational thing. They were just had bad stuff. But, but to make the illustration here, that builder didn't care about who was living in the house. The only thing they cared about was getting paid and moving on to the next house, right? They weren't building it for themselves. They weren't building it for their mom and dad. They weren't building it for their children. I think if that was the case, they would have built with different materials. But they didn't care. It wasn't important to them. How many churches around the world have we seen do this? How many have had the foundation of Christ laid, but then a leader comes in and made it about himself? Or he made it about how to be the best you using human wisdom? Or they made it about a political issue, losing sight of what is important and foundational? And some of these leaders will narrowly escape, verse 15. This is a terrifying verse, if you haven't thought. They will lose their reward, but not their salvation. Now, you might sit there and say, I feel sorry for you, Yusef. I feel sorry for you. That sounds scary. We are all in this together. We, we are all in this together Leaders are not up in their ivory tower. I need you. We need each other. This, this isn't Jonathan and then the congregation. This is the church of the apostles. We are united together. You lift me up. I lift you up. We encourage one another. We challenge one another. It's back and forth. I'm not in an ivory tower. Our hearts are that you would know and that you would grow and that you would go forth into the world in the power of God to speak truth, to live godly lives, and to be ambassadors for Christ. We will be judged on how we taught you. I don't think we'll be judged on how well you listened. Thank goodness. <laughs> 
Okay, caveat, and we're going to edit this out for sure, but I, I watch back the 1030 service, and there are definitely some sleepy eyes, <laughs> sleepy eyes falling asleep. But let us not forget this, beloved. We are in this work, and we are in this life together, together which is why our gathering together each week is of vital importance. It's why those statistics of the de-churched break my heart. 50 million people have removed themselves from the means of grace. God's field. One plants and other waters. God gives the growth. God's building. One lays a foundation, another builds on it. Christ is the cornerstone. Can you guess the third one? Obviously, it's in the passage, so it's not much of a guess. It's God's temple. And it's the indwelling of His Spirit. Now, in the Old Testament, the temple was the dwelling place of Yahweh. It showed that God was with His people. But in the New Testament, God's temple or His dwelling place is His people. It's why the songs about invoking the Spirit come and come in this place. Spirit, why? What are you talking about? We, he's here. If we're here, He's here. We don't have to invite Him in. He's here. He's with us. He's in you. He's in me. And this is a beautiful thing. God's temple or His dwelling place is His people. In the individual Christian body, as Paul will line out in chapter 6 of 1 Corinthians, but also in the local church. In the universal church. So we no longer have the symbolism that the Jews had. We, we don't go to temple. So if you have a Jewish friend on Saturday, they go to temple. You could say, you don't have to go to temple. I'm here. Don't do that. <clears throat> we have the Holy Spirit of God himself. I, that If I could just beat that over and over and over out of this series, this is the truth. We have the Holy Spirit of God himself. His Spirit is not this in this building in the bricks and the, mor and the mortar and the, and the carpet and the pew seats as if the church building itself was holy. No, he's in the people who gather together in his name. And because of the sacred nature of the Christian community as the dwelling place of God, it must not be dishonored, not by jealousies or rivalries, not deceived by false teaching, not defiled by immoral conduct, because these things effectively destroy the church. They destroy the unique identity of the holy people of God indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God. And verse 17, if anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. Well, what does destroying the temple look like? It looks like negatively impacting someone's spiritual well-being. It's to rob them of the grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ that is every believer's inheritance. It is to create division over petty issues 
Paul will spend all of that time in chapter 13 discussing love because the Corinthians didn't love each other. They had their doctrine right in so many places and yet could get it all wrong because they didn't understand the love of God and the love that we're called to with one another. You're holy in that you are set apart for God's use, for God's purposes to serve him as you are appointed. Look, listen, a a church could be uneducated, unclean, and unattractive people. A church could be very small. A church could be immature and fractured for a time like the church in Corinth. But they are nevertheless the church of God, the people of God. His dwelling place by his spirit. Now, I don't know if you picked up on this yet. I've been laying it on pretty thick. But in this, we see what? We see the Holy Trinity. We see the role of the Trinity in the work of the church. What matters most about the church is that as God's field, God himself gives the growth. As God's building, Jesus Christ is its only foundation. And as God's temple, it is the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. This is the Apostle Paul's comprehensive vision of the church. It owes its existence and its growth to God the Father. It is built on the foundation of God the Son. It is indwelt by God the Holy Spirit. And there is no other community in the world that is like it. It's amazing how we look at division in the church. And the answer is to go back to God. Shock. The perfect Trinity, which is inseparable, undivided, the perfect unity. And we, beloved, are brought into that relationship. And this should make us overflow with gratitude that we are in this relationship with God who is pre-exists creation, who has always been in fellowship with the persons themselves, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And it makes the thought of being in disunity and bringing that into the church abominable. Is there, just take a moment and, 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 and think through your mind. Is there anything that you have done that has brought division into the church? If so, make it right. Make it right. Consider the love of Christ. Consider the grace that Christ gives us. The tools that he equips us with. That's what Paul's been telling us. You have these things. You have these things. Stop acting like you don't have these things. Is there a need for forgiveness? Is there a need to reconcile a relationship? Because people's growth will be stunted if we remained without forgiveness, without love for one another, with with, with animosity built up in our hearts. Well, in these last verses, Paul concludes his perspective on the church by discussing wisdom and folly. Verse 18, let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. Don't chase after the wisdom of the age which looks out for number one, the self, which looks after the interests of self, the the wisdom of the age that blinds you to truth, that, that, that makes you wise in your own eyes. 
and seek the wisdom of God, which understands that the carnal flesh craves those things. It craves the, 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 the inward bentness of our hearts. It promotes the self over your loved ones, your spouse, your children. And then repent of boastfulness and self-centered human wisdom and instead find in Christ wisdom, love of others, love for the lost, love for the saints, servant-heartedness, humility, an attitude that boasts in the Lord and not in men. Not in a personality that you follow, not in a persona that you prefer, thereby creating division between people because, verse 21, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours and you are Christ's and Christ is God's. You don't belong to Paul or Apollos. They belong to you and are working together for your good. Our, our pastors, our staff, we're here for you. We belong to you. We, we are instruments that God has provided for your benefit. In comparison to those things, boasting in men looks silly. It, it, it looks futile. Because when you boast in God, you boast in the one who has started and will finish all. You boast in the one who is sovereign over life itself. You boast in the one who provides servants who help build one another up in faith. You boast in the one who grows you spiritually into him. You boast in the one who calls you his own. You boast in the one who laid down his very life so that you can live each and every day with hope and a future, even when the world outside looks bleak and dark. And these Corinthians forgot all of this. But we are Christ's. And Christ is God's. The Son belongs to the Father who rules over all. And just as the Son is secure in the Father, so we are secure in the Son and the Father. And so let us see our position and not only rejoice... But beloved, that we would look around this room. Just take a second, look around this room. And we would see that we belong to one another. This is the church that he has called to you, called you to, unless you're visiting from Kentucky or Ohio. <laughs> you don't belong to me, just kidding. This is the community that we belong to. This is the community that God has called us to. What a gift. What a blessing. Now consider what your role is in this place. Is it to promote yourself? To make celebrity out of yourself or someone else? Or is it to serve, to love, to care, to seek to figure out what your spiritual gifting is and then to use that for the building up of others and that others would build you up as well? Let's pray. Father, we are grateful 
that you have called us. We're, we're so grateful that you have called us. You have called us out of the kingdom of darkness and set us in the kingdom of your Son, Jesus Christ. And we rejoice in our salvation. But you have given us more than that. You've given us brothers and sisters who look after us, who love us without condition, who are called to serve, who are called to help, who are called to equip and encourage and build up. And so we don't want to just be people who sit and receive all the time. We want to be sent out too. And so, Father, we're asking that you would grow us in maturity as we, as we, as we grow in our sanctification process, that we would be reminded that we have the Father, we have the Son who is our cornerstone, and we have the Spirit indwelling in us. And now we can go out into the world not afraid or alone. But we know that we've been called to a place and a people. And we have that message on our mouths as we speak that there is hope and salvation in Christ and you won't be left alone, but you're being invited into. So Father, we thank you for these gifts. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.